hello and welcome to uh, this podcast episode. Today I have the distinct pleasure of actually sitting with <laughs> to speak with David Newman. And David, I'm going to mostly let you tell your own story. You've been a, a kirtan musician, a yoga teacher, and before that you studied law. Uh, so maybe I'm just going to ask you to start by telling us a little bit about that transition from uh, studying law to opening a yoga studio and eventually to kirtan. Sure. Well, I was living in... Well, I'll go back a little bit further, and it's nice to be here, Jeff. So Thank you, David. Yeah, yeah, Thank you for doing this. Right on. Thanks for having me. Um, uh, going back a little further, um, just to sort of complete uh, the, the story, the circuitous journey of my life, I, after college, I studied music, and actually I was pre-med in college and was thinking about being a doctor, but after college I decided to move to Los Angeles and pursue a career in music. And um, that was back in, let's see, 1987. And I lived in California for a couple of years and became a bit disenchanted with the music industry and thought, you know, how could I impact others? And, I, and so I considered uh, exploring a career in law. So I moved to New York City in 1990 and enrolled at the Benjamin N. Cardozo School of Law in the West Village and graduated a couple years later, took the bar exam. Uh, but it, while I was in law school, um, I think to cope with law school, and I got very impassioned with yoga. I had been meditating and practicing yoga for some time, but during law school, I just fell in love with the practice and split my time in New York City between studying to be a lawyer and practicing yoga. Those are my two main endeavors. So um, I, there was part of me that felt that perhaps I wanted to explore, rather than a career in law, I wanted to be a yoga teacher. But back in the early 1990s, that hadn't sprouted yet. Mm. I was living in New York City, so you had Yajiva Mukti and a f few other yoga centers, but then uh, after law school, I moved back to Philadelphia and there was really nothing happening. You know, Maybe somebody teaching in their homes or someone was teaching in the basement of a New Age bookstore on, uh, at a store called Garland of Letters right. on South Street. But there wasn't really much happening, so uh, I thought, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to open a yoga center in Philadelphia? So I took the bar exam in August of 1992, um, and uh, right about that time, I was uh, walking in a little town called Maniunk, and I looked up and I saw a Ferenc sign. So I called the number, uh, met the person there, went up to the second floor, and it was an empty room with windows all the way around and high ceilings, and I just saw a yoga center in my mind. So uh, in October, uh, two months later, I opened Yoga on Main in Philadelphia. Um, and uh, I figured, you know, uh, maybe I'll get it out of my system and then I'll take a real job, you know. Um, but uh, I just, interestingly enough, Jeff, just this last week um, visited the new yoga on Maine. It just was sold. I had given it to my partner, mm. um, and then uh, he sold it this year. They moved two blocks away on the same street, and uh, I went and saw the new space and met the new owners, and we had tea, and that's uh, 27 years ago. Wow. So I was there two years ago yeah. for a, a, a 
talk, but that would have been the old, the original that was, location? That was the original location, okay. yeah. So it's moved since then? Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. It, it moved literally, uh, I think, just like three months ago. Oh, my God. So it was in the same location for 27 years. And that was literally the first yoga studio in Philly? You know, I, pretty much. Pretty I mean, much, I didn't right. scour the streets, but, you know, as far as I recollect, aside from people, again, teaching out of their homes, there was no dedicated yoga center mm. at that time. Okay. Now in Philadelphia, there's just numerous. Sure, I probably all over couldn't the place. even count them. Yeah. Right. So what was that like? So so here you are, you're into yoga, you're opening essentially the first yoga studio. How did, how did people find you? What was the reception? What was the energy around the opening? It was completely effortless and, you know, build it and they will come, you know, that was it. I, I remember going into a restaurant next to the yoga center, meeting the father of my high school girlfriend, said, hey, David, what are you doing these days? I said, well, I'm opening a yoga center in about two weeks. And he said, oh, <laughs> that'll never work. <laughs> and, um, but there was uh, the need and uh, there was the demand and uh, for me you know personally speaking when I opened the doors of the yoga center um, I, you know I would say you know class at 7 p.m. tonight and I would the door would be unlocked and I would be there and nobody would come and then uh, you know a week later there would be uh, one person and then three people and then I remember so that was October by by the holidays. Uh, I rem the, the Tuesday night class and the Saturday and Sunday morning classes were up to like 20, 25 people. Mm. And I had personally felt like, oh, I finally found my reason for being. It just felt like an absolute natural uh, self-expression to be teaching yoga. Um, mm. And um, it just unfolded and evolved from there. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. Just right time, right place. And so how long did you run the center? The, the new owners were asking um, me that the other day. Um, I, I kind of have to speculate a little bit because you know how time is in sure. the past. Kind of all fades. I was solidly running the center and teaching yoga for about 10 years. And then what happened for me was I had a reawakening to my musical self. And I started writing songs and I met a record producer recorded my first album. I went to Los Angeles and um, got back into music, but more devotionally, spiritually. And, uh, and of course, as you mentioned, working with Kirtan and Mantras. Having the Yoga Center, I got to invite people like Krishna Das and Jai Uttal and Bhagavan Das and other folks who were bringing a Western flavor to this ancient Sanskrit you know, mantra package mm -hmm. called Kirtan. So I started chanting and I started writing songs and um, back in, I think it was 2001, I went to Los Angeles and recorded my first album. Um, and then my second album, which came out, I believe it was in 2005, called Lotus Feet. That was interesting for me. And um, it was a funny story because I listen to NPR um, all the time these days. I enjoy it. But back then, I literally never listened to NPR. It was like not on my radar at all. And I was um, at an ashram in Taos, New Mexico, the Neem Karoli Baba Hanuman uh, Temple. Mm -hmm. And I just started uh, sharing my music and my kirtan, like, you know, in Washington, D.C. and in New York City, and just sort of moving out a little bit from Philadelphia. And I got a call at the ashram from a woman who was a music reviewer for a show called All Things Considered. And I didn't think twice about it. She said, may I review your, you know, your CD on that show? 
Um, and I said, sure. We set up an interview and uh, did the interview. It, it came out. And next thing I knew, people were calling me from all over the country. You know, I heard you, the David Newman, or is this your album? And, uh, and I remember going on my, on my website like the, 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 the next morning and there was like 500 orders for my CD. And that was sort of like the defining shift for me. And, mm. You know, I, I sort of what it was was I was teaching yoga and running a yoga center 100% of the time and then like 80% of the time and doing my music 20% and then it, you know, the yoga part kept dwindling mm. and eventually the music took over and probably by about... Uh, you know, like 2007, 2008, I fully shifted to, uh, you know, to, to a to career music. in music and sharing um, kirtan mm -hmm. and chanting and traveling, doing that. Right. And so, um, you you have also used the name Durga Das right. in certain circles. Sure. When did that happen? I was uh, touring and studying with uh, a kirtan wala named Bhagavan Das, who um, he, he was um, a devotee of Neem Karoli Baba, and he was the one who had introduced Ram Das to Neem Karoli right. Baba when he was like 17 years <clears throat> old. And so Bhagavan Das was, you know, I, I, I traveled and studied with him, and he gave me the name Durga Das. I was, you know, Das means servant, so, you know, uh, if you're Krishna Das, you're servant of Krishna. If you're, you know, Ram Das, servant of Ram, uh, Durga Das, servant of the Divine Mother. I've always felt drawn to the feminine aspect of, you know, the I beloved. See. Yeah. I see. So, so Bhagavan Das gave you that name. That's right. Yeah. And you were touring with him. I was traveling with him. You yeah. were traveling with yeah, him. Yeah, not all the time, but, you know, whenever I could, you know, I had other responsibilities, but whenever mm -hmm. I could, I went on the road with him. Okay, did you um, study with other kirtan singers? Uh, yeah, I, mean, I spent time with all of them, um, yeah. and, and also time in India as well, um, working with different teachers and different kirtan singers, mm -hmm. and I also studied Vedic chanting as part of my original yogic training, was in the lineage of uh, Krishnamacharya and, and Desigachar. Okay. Um, Krishnamacharya was Patabi Joyce, and um, and uh, who, who, he taught Patabi Joyce, and who was the other uh, teacher that he taught? Um, Desigachar and Iyengar. And okay. part of that lineage, well, a big part of it was Vedic chanting, which is different than Kirtan, but I studied Sanskrit and Vedic chanting in that lineage. I see. And yeah. was that in India or here? Both. Or both. Okay. both. Uh, Desigachar, um, who passed, um, had a disciple who lived in Maryland named Sonia Nelson. She is now the Vedic uh, Studies uh, Center in New Mexico. And I, I, I studied with uh, Sonia. And mm -hmm. also, the yoga teacher who inspired me when I was in law school in New York City was Gary Kraftsau, and he was living in Maui, but came to New York to teach, and he also taught Vedic chanting as well. I see. Yeah. Now, now you've mentioned Neem Karoli Baba, yeah, sure. who was the the guru that Ramdas met. So, and and really, Ramdas brought his name to a much wider. He sure did. Circle for sure. And Bhagavan Das had been a young sadhu, young sadhu, yeah. and had met Ramdas in India and brought him to see Neem Karoli. Um, and I know you have a story around Neem Karoli. Uh, sure. And and before you get to the story, do you consider Neem Karoli to be your your guru or your teacher? The answer is yes. 
Mm -hmm. And that said, um, it's such a sort of refined inner connection, and I never met him on the physical plane. Right. But I do consider him to be my guru or my spiritual guide, mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. And the reason I entered into music in Kirtan was really uh, because of that relationship and, and his grace. Right. Yeah. So tell us about that. The, the meeting of, of Neem Karoli Baba that you had was after... Uh, Neem Karoli was no longer alive. That's right. And Neem Karoli Baba, uh, as my travels have gone on, with, you know, over the years, I've met so many people who shared similar stories. Uh, and, and he's very active, e even though he's no longer alive. And, and he did. He came to me in several uh, meditations uh, and uh, dreams. And in one dream in particular, he came to me. And uh, I was going through a stressful time um, in my life. And it was maybe few years into being a yoga teacher. I came from a professional family. My mother was a Supreme Court Justice of Pennsylvania. My father was a surgeon. And although I loved teaching yoga, I, I somehow felt like I, I, there was, I would felt a sense of inadequacy about it. Like a, maybe I should go back to practicing law. Mm. Maybe I should do this. Or, you know, maybe I'm throwing away my life being a yoga teacher. And so I felt a little conflicted, and so one night I prayed to Neem Karoli Baba, also known as Maharaji, to help guide me and, um, in my dreams. And he did that night. And I told him how I was feeling and what my conflict was and what my struggle was. And he said to me in the dream, Bolo, Bolo. And this was before I had gotten back into music. He did Bolo, Bolo, which means sing. And as soon as he said that to me, I woke up and just got the message. A part of me thought, wow, this is a great saint and, you know, this is all he's got. You know, I, was, <laughs> I was looking for some real guidance, so right. to speak. But that part of me, that, that the deeper part of me, was re received the message in a kind of a, an energetic way, in, in a deeper way. And uh, the next day I went and bought a new guitar and the songs just started coming. Okay. And that was the beginning of my... I always love, I love using the words kirtan career, you know, juxtaposed because, you know, they don't really fit together. But Absolutely. That was the beginning of my music or kirtan career was that dream. Mm -hmm. and, and there were many other ways in which Neem Karoli Baba came into my life and the inner planes um, and, uh, and, and, and took me on a whole new path. And the path was, I, I remember at that time also thinking that um, I loved Hatha Yoga and practicing asana, you know, was my main it was my primary practice but there was something inside me that was yearning for more and I really in, until that dream and until I started chanting more and devoting myself to expressing myself through kirtan and through music um, that led me to bhakti yoga and that's what I was looking for but I just I didn't know it mm -hmm. at the time right because Neem Karoli as we said Bhagavan Das was with Neem Karoli Ramdas. They weren't necessarily yoga teachers. No, none um, of them were. And 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 Krishna Das, another well-known kirtan singer, also uh, is in that lineage. And as far as I know, is also not a yoga. That's correct. Teacher. So that wasn't necessarily Neem Karoli's path. His path was a bhakti path. His path was bhakti path. And you know, when people would come to Neem Karoli Baba and ask him for spiritual guidance, his stock answer was, you know feed people and serve people right that was that 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 was his teaching um but yet he realized that the, the the true 
that one's true capacity to serve was by seeing the divine in the other. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that was, that's how the motivation stemmed from the vision of seeing the beloved in the other. Right. And so for uh, his, so for him, singing kirtan and find, was the vehicle through which, especially the Westerners who weren't conditioned to have devotion, Right, right. Could find it through the chanting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So great. This is kind of where I wanted to get to, which is because um, <clears throat> for certainly the time you were in your kirtan career and probably beyond, but bhakti yoga was the center of your path. Absolutely. And, and so, can you tell us what, like, how you understand bhakti yoga as a path? Sure. Well, the word bhakti means devotional or unconditional love. So bhakti yoga is the practice of devotional or unconditional love um, as a yoga, both as a present moment practice to express love for the other mm-hmm. and also to, <laughs> to, to uh, attain the goal of spiritual union of yoga. Um, and bhakti practice is centers around Kirtan mm-hmm. centers around uh, chanting mantras, but there's also other aspects to the path like puja or ritualistic offering, often traditionally also having a guru, expressing one's devotion to a higher power through a vehicle, right. through so a the, form. So the, loving, the, loving the divine in form, right. so, so to speak. So you're loving the divine. You could, the form could be ritual. Right. The form could be kirtan or right. chanting. Could be service. Could be service. Sure. Feed people. Yeah. Right. Um, it could be devotion to a teacher, to a guru. Exactly. Um, let me see. And, yeah. and, and so for you, what was it? For me, it was this inner, it was a couple of things. One, it was my inner relationship with Nim Karoli Baba. There is a, uh, um, a phrase in Sanskrit, which is uh, called Ishta Devata, which means one's chosen form of the beloved, meaning in bhakti in particular, the whole practice of bhakti is to see the beloved in everything. That's the ultimate practice. Bhakti also does um, uh, recommend finding a particular form that speaks to your heart as a means to seeing the beloved in everything, to go through a particular form. Mm. So um, the beauty of bhakti is that it doesn't prescribe a particular form. You know, everybody worship this or right. him or her. Um, uh, and a lot of what bhakti is, is finding your devata. you know, what form speaks to you, speaks to your heart. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was and continues to be that inner relationship with Neem Karoli Baba. Mm-hmm. Um, and very, for me, it was a very, it, it's been a very kind of nuanced practice. Um, ultimately, it translated in more of what they call a bhakti bhav, and that is um, sort of a capacity to see the beloved, you know, in everyone. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's why through traveling for, you know, it's, it's been over 15 years and singing kirtan you know, and sharing that exchange of heart with so many souls. You know, that was a big part of my practice was just, you know, tirelessly traveling around the world. Right. It was my passion. It was my sadhana. It was my vocation. I mean, I say was only because I've cut back a bit, but it still is. <laughs> yes. Is my vocation, you know, my passion and my sadhana as well. And my service to others, you know. So to me, uh, the ultimate practice of bhakti yoga 
is appreciation for one's life and love for the beloved in all interactions. Mm. Yeah. I, I think it's like any other path, you know, like a Buddhist, like practicing, you know, compassion right. and love. You know? So really the, the deepest core of your practice is your relationship with Neem Karoli. That is it. Um, but it, that has changed through the years because in earlier times for me, it was being in relationship to his form, mm. you know, and now it's more, it, it's now it's more of emerging for me. You know, I, I feel, you know, it, the, the bhakti, the, the devotional love, unconditional love is a presence that's always available. It doesn't belong to a person. So it doesn't belong to Neem Karoli Baba solely. So it's it's present in every moment. Sure. So, so to me now, it's being in an intimate relationship with that love. It's it's less than being in a relationship with Neem Karoli Baba's form. Mm -hmm. It's more being in relationship to the essence, which is Neem Karoli Baba, which is also the essence right. within you and the essence within me. Mm -hmm. So it's it's being in close proximity and staying right. close to that. And, 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 and by the way, and over time, you get a sense when you're drifting. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But I'm, I'm thinking in traditionally, yeah. the role of the guru is to personify the goal. Absolutely. Because it's easier in the beginning to have a, form, a focal point, a focal point yes. to focus on. But over time, the, that which the guru represents is what you want to be devoted to, not... And the goal of the guru is to make him or herself obsolete for, right. for that which is Absolutely. embodied within him or her mm -hmm. to then to then you know to be realized within right. the disciples' consciousness. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so what you're describing is the way the path is supposed to work. Sure, with the working with a teacher. Exactly. But then there's this reverence, you know, for the form. It's different. It's more of a reverence. Sure. As opposed to a desperate need to be close to the form. Right. It's a reverence for the form. You know, thank you for taking me here. And, and 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 let me share you with others yes. <laughs> who may be so inclined. But I've never ever felt I've never felt like I needed to impose Nim Karoli Baba's uh, you know, on on other beings. Because for me as a bhakti facilitator, my goal is to is to facilitate somebody's passion to express devotion and to find the form in which that will take them home, so mm. to speak. And that's that's been the real joy for me, is 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 um, just through my music and through the chanting with others and and through sharing the teachings of bhakti um, as they come through me to connect people with their own sense of bhakti and their own sense of devotion and just see where that takes them. Beautiful. And it's unique for everybody. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the beauty of that's it. That's fantastic. It's not a prescription. Right. It's a discovery. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. So, so, you know, you obviously that's, that's been your path for a long time mm -hmm. and I, and you've been faithful to it. And you still practice it. So, sure. So clearly along the way, you must have had experiences, spiritual experiences that, that opened you to deeper and higher levels. Absolutely. And I would be curious to hear about a few in the sense of what kinds of openings does did you have and mm -hmm. therefore could one potentially have sure. on a bhakti path? What, what sorts of experiences uh, does one find? So many, and uh, some some are you know major fireworks, and and some are more subtle. And um, uh, the subtle ones are you happen throughout the course of every single day. Um, the, the the big shifts in consciousness for me have all, I could count them on one hand, <laughs> if that. Mm -hmm. um, I'll share a couple of those. Um, 
with you. Uh, and the first one is connected to Neem Karoli Baba because Neem Karoli Baba initially came to me, uh, and didn't come to me initially, but came to me, came to me, like entered into me mm. through a painting that was painted for me. Mm. I, moved, I had moved into a new apartment and my sister-in-law, as a housewarming gift, painted this magnificent uh, oil painting of Neem Karoli Baba for my living room. And I was meditating, meditating one night before Neem Karoli Baba was my guru, and I was staring at the painting. And, uh, and it's funny, I tell people now when they see his, uh, his image that I bring with me at Kirtans, you know, if he starts to talk to you, you know, it's, uh, you know, don't come looking for me. But nonetheless, uh, he came, came through that painting to me. And, um, and, and uh, I received an inner message, and that was that I manifested this painting for you because I want to be this big in your life. And that was, that was my bhakti opening. I mean, I... In that moment, uh, who, whoever he is, which is still a great mystery to all of us, just reflected back to me my nature as love. And I, I broke into tears. Uh, almost, uh, I couldn't hardly stop them. I, it, but they weren't negative, they were bhakti tears. They right. were just tears of love. And that moment was my initiation. Mm. Beautiful. That was my initiation into bhakti, and everything changed after that. Mm -hmm. Um, then later, um, the second big shift in consciousness I had was many years later, was in 2000 and 2010. Um, and uh, you and I have spoken about this. I wrote about it in my book, um, The Time Bound Traveler. Uh, whereas the Neem Karoli Baba, um, uh, <laughs> when grace came in that moment, it was, it was so beautiful. And it was so, the tears were just because the joy was beyond comprehension. I, I could hardly contain it within my body. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh, I was, it was just a, you know, it was like a long lost self-remembering of something I, I didn't even know I was until that moment. But in 2010, I had a non-dual non shift in consciousness where I perceived reality um, and everything was there in it, but for me as the perceiver. So that was, that was rather than being a joyful expansion, that was led to a dark night of the soul, and that was more of a ter terrifying um, shift for me. Mm. Uh, three year, it took me three years to process that one moment. Mm -hmm. It happened actually. I, I woke up in the middle of the night, walked into the next room, and there it was. Everything as it was without me. And I beheld my, my own non-existence in that moment. Mm. And as a bhakta, the, you know, my path was always sort of centered around me as the lover expressing my devotion for the beloved. So this duality kind of was, was also not only my reality, but it was also the bedrock of my devotional spiritual practice. Right, right. So suddenly when that came out and there was no David Newman and there was no Dean Crowley, there was no one to love the beloved, it, it completely shook shook the earth below me and um, and sent me into a very very difficult journey for three years which led me to a, a spiritual awakening where I was for lack of a better description able to ultimately relax into my own my own non-existence mm -hmm. as a separate event mm -hmm. entity right and I first met you mm -hmm. probably fairly shortly after that fruition of that experience. That was 2013, I think. That <clears throat> I think the fruition so, fruition yeah. of that was. When did you move Pro into... I moved here about 2013. I probably, I probably sure. met you about a year later. Right. 
and and you you know we talked about this as you said I gotten a copy of your book which I don't remember what's the title of the time-bound traveler time-bound traveler yeah. and and so you were sort of out of the dark night part of that right at that I point. had had that you know that break you know that opening that yeah the op- the right the second opening the Can second you describe opening. that to us the it, second it was opening. it was a it was a, a non-experience it was um, I was simply walking down the street um, and suddenly the realization of everything that I aspire to and fear both at the same time fell away mm-hmm. and I th- the realization was that there was no me to, to find it it was right. it just fell away mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the the burden of, of, of seeking fell away and suddenly it was just ah oh, this is it right there is no there is no aspiration there is no attainment there is no fear there is no it, it um, you know, I, I remember for that year being so articulate in terms of describing that moment, and now it's so sort of uh, commonplace in my being that uh, that I have to jog my memory to mm. to bring myself back there, because you know, to me, uh, when I was in the throes of wanting to awaken, um, it was a pursuit. Right. And then when I woke up, the realization was uh, you don't awaken because you, you're never not awake. So I didn't actually awaken. Right. The whole enterprise just ceased to be as if it never had existed. And so it, it was, whereas those other awakenings were these big moments in my life, this was recognized by the absence of what was there in its place right but there was no there was no you know new path that was revealed it was kind of the end of something right it yeah. was kind of the end of seeking it was the it was definitely the end of seeking <clears throat> mm-hmm. for me yeah right. I, I, it's never occurred to me to seek since right now that's very fascinating because I know when we were speaking about it part of what you were contemplating was the because what you're describing as a non-dual awakening sure. would be classically more described in yana yoga, right? The, sure. the, the yoga of wisdom and insight, which is where you have the insight that there's only one um, and that, you know, you are that. David never existed. Uh, there just is what is and that's all. Um, and so you were questioning the the difference between a bhakti path in which there's a distinct and you know I've read that in some supposedly some great bhaktis will renounce their non-dual awakening because they they want to stay in they don't want to be there as Ramakrishna said they don't want to be the sugar they want to taste the sugar Mm -hmm. (laughs) right right which is in in some bhakti traditions is considered a higher attainment that's true you know and uh, you know so who knows a higher or lower but how do you see that now in terms of the bhakti path and the yana path uh, the kinds of realizations you had when you were more consciously a bhakti versus this later experience sure uh, to me now there really is no difference between the two they're two sides of the of the same coin and not even separate sides right. um, I, there, I, I know many people who have sort of you know, treaded the gyan path and then bhakti has revealed itself to them. For yes. me, it was bhakti and then the gyan, the advaita came in. It was not consciously invited by me, I can tell you that. That's why it was so devastating. 
You know, it wasn't what I was aspiring to have a non-dual awakening. As right. a matter of fact, when it happened, I didn't even know what it was. Right, right. And then I had to find out, you know, through through fi- finding people that could, you know, help reflect back to me what had taken place in my consciousness. Mm. Um, so to me, uh, you know, and also when I had that non-dual awakening, uh, w- w- when, when, when it bared fruit in 2013... I didn't even know if I would even be interested in singing kirtan anymore or expressing mm, my right, bhakti. Um, right. And ultimately, the way I look at it now, um, if I would if I would be called upon to conceptualize it, which I typically don't gravitate toward, but if I was, which I am, which you are, which I am, <laughs> um, I would say something like this. You know that um, the, the there is. Um, the the disintegration of the idea of a me has given rise, interestingly enough, to more to a greater sense of passionate engaging in embodiment and in in the duality. I I look at it as you know I mean to the degree that it is an illusion to the degree that duality doesn't really exist but I'm still in it. I choose for it to be a beautiful dream rather than a nightmare. Right. Yeah. I. I just do, you know, um, and so for me, uh, my nature, my nature as an individualized entity, so to speak, tends to gravitate toward bhakti. Right. It's my right. nature, right. you know. So in the same way that, a, you know, a rose seed grows into a rose or, a, you know, a, a tulip seed grows into a tulip, you know, the David seed uh Tends to gravitate toward musical self-expression, and, uh, and and bhakti. Right. And so I continue because that's my nature. Mm. And but I don't continue prior to that uh, singing kirtan and, and being a bhakti yoga practitioner. There was there was something I was striving toward. So it had a, I would say it was laced with a sense of desperation. You know, mm. I'll practice every morning and I'll get somewhere. I'll keep singing and this will lead me to. I don't have that anymore. So the reason why I chant uh, is because I enjoy it. Right. And it's really that simple. Mm-hmm. I just enjoy it. And, you know, um, and if I never did it again, that would be fine too. Right. I mean, I, I used to that. I used to sing and chant, and as soon as I was done, I, I had to get to the next kirtan. You know, I was like compelled to do it. Right. So now um, when I'm not doing it, I'm not really thinking about it. But when I'm doing it, I'm enjoying it. And it's it's in the moment when I'm chanting and playing and singing, especially with others, I it's deeply rich for me. Right. It, it's as rich and wonderful um, and satisfying or more than it's ever been. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. So you and I have a very interesting parallel. Um, I mean, I've always, ever since I met you, I've kind of known that we have this sort of parallel. It's interestingly parallel and different. Right. Right. Sort mm-hmm. of parallel and opposite in some ways, but uh, because I was, I didn't really consider myself a bhakti. Uh, oh, before I say that, I would just want to say, and I don't know if you you may already know this, but you know Ramana Maharshi, in one of his passages, says that, and Ramana is a, a great non-dual teacher sure. of the twentieth century. But he says, in the end, someone asked, "What's the difference between?" Yana yoga and bhakti yoga and he said in the end they're the same right because he said any any yana yoga who's discovering the true self has to fall in love with it 
Right. Right? That's beautiful. And any bhakti yoga who's loving God has to discover that they are that which they love. Right. So in the end, they sort of merge. Absolutely. And, and there's no distinction, which is what you're describing. Yeah. Um, and for myself, I... Uh, lived in a spiritual community and did a lot of meditation practice um, and had a very similar end point, you know, after many, many experiences and blah, blah, all these things that happened. But the end point was sitting in yet another, you know, 18, 19 years later, another 10 day retreat, ready to go for it, you know, and the first bell rang <clears throat> and my, the thought was, oh my God, I just don't have the energy. <laughs> like I can't do it again. And I thought at first, oh no, that's bad. <laughs> that was my first response. I, oh, I just, I gave up. But the second thing I realized was I don't need to be convinced anymore. Right. And there's nothing left. I don't need another experience. I don't care anymore about having an experience because nothing that could possibly happen was going to make me more convinced about the existence of, divine, of the divine than right. I already was. It is a giving right. up in a sense. Yeah, it's there a totally... There is an aspect of just giving it up. It's, it's a giving up and, and you seem to have to go through whatever you have to go through to get to the point where there's a giving up. And, and isn't it a great mystery, and, and I want to hear the rest of this, a great mystery, what takes a person to that moment? Absolutely. I've never figured that out. It, it, and it seems it, to be different for everybody, for everyone, you yeah. know. But, but yeah, so there's this kind of giving up and... <clears throat> And like you, you know, you were thinking, well, I don't know if I'm going to want to sing Kirtan anymore. And I was thinking, I don't know if I'm going to want to meditate anymore. I mean, I, I didn't meditate for a while. Sure. You know? But then I came back to it because I like it. I, you know, I enjoy doing it. And also it really became for me an opportunity to worship mm -hmm. because I felt like whatever the divine is, you know, one way that I can express my total love and devotion is to be completely vulnerable, right. is to just sit and do nothing because I know, you know, he or she will take care of everything right. that, that I want to prove or show or demonstrate That's beautiful. that I'm not concerned anymore right. about myself. Just, just, just total bhakti. Just total, right, <laughs> total, which is bhakti. total bhakti. Yeah, like total I, trust. I now know. Ishvara pranidana, faith that, in the divine. Right. I know mm. that you're taking care of me and I don't need to do anything but sit here. Yeah. And, and so I feel my meditation practices become, you know, where it used to be like me trying to see through my mind. Right. It now becomes just an, me, offering, an offering to the right. divine. Right. And that's, 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 you know, and then as I've looked back, you know, my path was, was kind of always a mix because, of course, I was doing a lot of practice, but I was working with a teacher whom I loved more than I ever knew you could love someone. Sure. And so that was always interwoven through the path but i think it's i think it's powerful to see that the that there are two distinct paths mm -hmm. right the bhakti the actual path of consciously loving learning to love the 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 divine and the more yani path of of turning inward sure. to the mysteries of the unknown right right they are very distinctly different and they do attract people differently they do. Right? Some people really gravitate toward one, others really gravitate toward the other. But to see, in at least both of our cases, this merging point where they sort of become indistinguishable. I love the story about the great Advaita Saint Shankara, who uh, toward the end of his life spent most of his time writing uh, devotional love songs to Durga. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's... 
that's fascinating. Yeah. That's really beautiful. So, so yeah, I guess this has been a fantastic conversation. Thanks, and, Jeff. And I really wanted to flesh out the bhakti path because it's not something I teach much. Mm. I don't, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure it comes through in, in, just in, in, in your nature. Exactly. You know, in a certain sure. essence, it comes through, but it's not actually something I know much about. Sure. Right? And I don't have any, you know, I haven't been on a bhakti path. You know, I've seen, I've sung Kirtan with you a couple of times, yeah. you know, and, and a few other times, but not, not often. Well, I think, you know, the, the converse is true. I think you hold that bhakti. You're, you're an open hearted person. And it's, it sounds from what you're saying, your orientation and your practice is surrender toward loving the divine and you yes. had a guru who you love very much so though your path is more oriented toward meditation and self-inquiry um, it's laced with your devotional absolutely inner world in the same way you know when i had my non-dual awakening i started teaching about you know sharing and i found that the peace people who gravitated toward me you know maybe three percent of them even cared about that shift in consciousness and they were there to to connect to my bhakti nature right. and so for me I'm a bhakti teacher but it's conversely laced with that that non-dual awareness that mm -hmm. I bring into it mm -hmm. although it's you know it's not the the, the front page it's just in right. there right you know and so. yes exactly this is the interesting parallel that we have with each other that's parallel and opposite yeah. at the same time. Exactly. So. That's beautiful. David, it's been a real joy Thank you, to Jeff. speak with you. And I hope we get to do this again. I hope so, too. And Thanks for having me on. You are very welcome. Thank you. All right. Okay. Bye now. Take good care. Bye-bye.